Hello, and welcome to the Brutally Honest Books podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gerrand, and I'll be giving you my honest thoughts on the books I read. While the reviews will be short and to the point, they'll include everything you want to know without any spoilers to help you figure out what you should read next. So with that said, let's jump right in. Hi everyone, welcome back to our very last book review of Magic May. I mentioned this in last week's episode, but if you did not give that a listen, first of all, what are you doing? Second of all, I can kind of recap it here, but I am changing out two book reviews a month for two new types of episodes, interviews and classics and cocktails. So again, I am repeating myself, but before I was doing four book reviews a month, one every single week, and now I'm going to be replacing two of those episodes a month with these other types of episodes, interviews with just all sorts of readers or hopefully people in the industry and classics and cocktails. And if you missed what that is about, classics and cocktails is where I'm going to be reading a classic work of literature. I'm going to do my best to attempt to keep it within the monthly theme because I really like the monthly themes and I want to keep doing that. But I know that some months it might be a little tricky. So sometimes the classic book might not always 100% follow the theme or fall under the umbrella of the theme. But essentially what I'm going to be doing is reading a classic work of literature so that you don't have to or to refresh your memory and just retelling the plot in a very like drunk history kind of way because I also make a drink recipe inspired by these books. So I just have that drink and just have a very fun and relaxed conversation slash summary of the plot with my boyfriend slash producer of my podcast. And those classics and cocktails are always going to be at the end of every month. And the interviews, I believe, will always be like the second week of every month. So it'll always alternate. So we'll have book review, interview, book review, classics and cocktails. So again, I know I am repeating myself if you've already heard this before, but just bear with me for anybody who is kind of catching up to speed. So for the month of May, this is going to be our last book review of the month, like I mentioned. And as you will have seen from the title of this episode, it is The Book of English Magic by two authors, Philip Carr Gom and Richard Haygate. And this book was actually first published in 2009. I did not know that because I had actually just recently seen it in the bookstore because they came out with like a new paperback edition in 2014. So I've been seeing it more recently and kind of like pushed a little bit at the bookstore and always had my eye on it, but was looking for an excuse to buy it. And so once I had the idea of Magic May, I knew I got to pull the trigger and finally get this book. And personally, I am very, very, very glad that I did. If I remember correctly, I also think that this book had a slightly higher price tag, maybe around the like close to the $30 mark, but I could be wrong about that. But I think that was part of my hesitation for buying it just because it was a little bit pricier. But I am very, very glad that I bought it and now have this as a part of my collection. And I'll definitely get into the specifics of why I love this book so much, like as we go through it and I can kind of like flesh out my point in full a little bit more, but essentially it's just an amazing overview of the history of magic in the UK, as well as being both a jumping off point and 
a source of information in terms of giving you all sorts of other book recommendations, things to do in the UK, et cetera, et cetera, interviews, things like that. And so again, we will kind of get into this a little bit more, but I guess that is where I could start, right? I could start with the structure of the book just because it is slightly unconventional, I guess. Okay, so to kind of set the context a little bit, there are 12 chapters and I will just very quickly tell you what every chapter is. And I'll see if I can remember exactly what every chapter is about, but I do think that that will help give you a little bit of context and kind of understand everything that this book covers. So there are 12 chapters. Chapter one is Ancient Roots and Magic Wands. And this is really going back to like the very, very beginning. So he even talks about, or both the authors talk about the caves at Lascaux, which are some of the very first cave paintings made by humans and that connection even that initial connection to magic. And so we start like very like prehistoric times. And then chapter two is the magicians organize themselves and they talk about paganism, druids, things like, you know, Stonehenge coming into play. Chapter three is the world of the Anglo-Saxon sorcerer. So again, we're kind of moving a little bit up in terms of history. We're talking about Anglo-Saxons, Romans, and just the cultural influences and clashing and a societal slash historical context. Then we go on to chapter four, which is Merlin, King Arthur, and the search for the Holy Grail. That chapter title is pretty self-explanatory. Then chapter five is the world of witches and warlocks. This, I believe, is where we start coming up a little bit more present day in terms of like the 60s and 70s, maybe even the 50s a little bit, but basically with like the introduction of like Wicca. So then we have chapter six, which is the world of alchemists and puffers. So this is talking about alchemists from way back when i i believe it was like you know 17th 18th century when they're trying to create like the philosopher's stone and alchemists were a big deal and kind of the connection that that has to the world of medicine then we have chapter seven which is the queen's astrologer so this is actually about queen elizabeth's famous astrologer john d and just astrology and zodiac signs in general then we have chapter eight which is titled Cunning folk, girdle measurers, and fairy faith. So if I remember correctly, this is just kind of about like fairy magic and the belief in fairies in general in the UK. And we're getting close to the end, I promise. But then we have chapter nine, which is Freemasonry and the power of numbers. So this is all about numerology and like I said, Freemasons and different societies in general. Then we have chapter 10, which is secret chiefs, hidden masters, and adepts of the rosy cross. So this just kind of continues the discussion of different magical or intellectual secret societies, or maybe they weren't that secret, but kind of jumping on, but kind of piggybacking on the whole Freemason discussion, just because there are more than just the Freemasons, there are all sorts of different societies, like the Golden Dawn, the Rosy Cross, etc., etc. Then we have chapter 11, which is the great beast and the priestess of the sea. If I remember correctly, this chapter just talks about some specific individuals who were very influential in terms of these different societies and the world of magic in general, and a lot of the progresses that they made. And then last but not least, we have chapter 12, which is the wizard's return, the renaissance of English magic in the 21st century. 
as you can see, and again, that chapter is very self-explanatory, but as you can see, the book does follow somewhat of a chronological timeline. I do think that it kind of jumps around a little bit timeline-wise, depending on the chapter and the subject that they're covering. But in general, it is kind of taking you from like this very historic, if not prehistoric era, all the way to the 21st century, which is incredibly impressive considering this book's page count in my opinion it is 500 pages but it really does not look like a book that is 500 pages I don't know how to explain it it's kind of like a trick of the eye it doesn't feel like it's that thick of a book um, yet I guess it is and it does cover so so much and gives such an excellent overview and something else that I was really impressed by that I usually touch on or talk about a lot is the fact that they not only convey such a massive wealth of information, but they do it in a way that's really approachable and easy to understand. And this is obviously just my personal opinion as an adult reader, but really for me, I just felt like it has something in terms of the way that it's writing about this subject matter in a way that does really spark that adventure and imagination vibe that I feel like is really dormant in a lot of adults. Because while it does approach the subject from a very historical standpoint and does also talk about, like I wouldn't say it casts doubt on the subject matter, but it will bring in, you know, like it does have a very objective view, I suppose. However, at the same time, so maybe it's not purely objective because I do feel like it lends the topic of magic a lot of credibility or i.e. believability. So if you are somebody who is like uber religious, this might not be the best book for you just because you, I think there's a potential to misconstrue their intention or what they're saying potentially. I don't know if that's any of my listeners. Again, this is a historical book and it is covering the very real topic of magic that has been present in the UK up till now, right? Like there is the tradition of all of these folklore legends. There is the the history of believing in fairy magic. There is the history of runes. Like these are not things that you can argue with. Like these are things that historians and archaeologists and a lot of experts have talked about. But at the same time, these authors do interview people who practice magic present day or have some sort of direct involvement. So I do think this is potentially where it could put some people off if this is something that you're immensely opposed to, like you think this is all like blasphemy or something. And I think another element of the book that could potentially be misconstrued is depending on what the topic is about. I don't know if it's in every single chapter, but there's usually a paragraph where, like near the end of the chapter, where the author's kind of explain how you can further research this topic or further get into this topic yourself. So for example, on the topic of runes, let's talk about that because that's something that really captivated my interest. Um, I also apologize if you hear any like page flipping. I have the book in front of me and I just keep doing that like a tick. So I apologize if that annoys anybody. But back to what we were talking about with runes. So this is a chapter that really caught my attention and my interest. So obviously runes has a long history both in the UK as well as 
northern Europe, like Sweden, Norway, places like that. And these are things that have been found on different artifacts, like on ancient swords and things like that, that have been dug up. And so present day, I guess the role that runes play is kind of in a like tarot cardy kind of way. So the chapter covers everything that you need to know about it, and I won't get into the specifics, but I guess that you can draw different runes because there's different runes it's almost like there's a you know what let's just get into it so it's kind of like there's a rune alphabet I guess it's like a preset alphabet but rather than it being just like letters of an alphabet to form words it's more just like this set of symbols and every symbol symbolizes something so one symbol can mean wealth one can mean love one can mean you know education or something like that and there's like a set of them and, and I'm really, really summarizing this and kind of reducing this to the basics. Also, quick note is that for runes to be like authentic is typically they actually are like made of a specific type of wood or natural element like birch wood or something like that. And I believe they're even like branded with the symbol like into the wood. Uh, there might be some variety, I think, on like how some runes are created. That's like uber traditional. But basically, you take all these runes, you throw them in a bag, and then you like ask three questions. And every time you ask a question, you like draw a rune. So at the end of that chapter, obviously, they talk about the history of runes and all of that stuff that I just like really glossed over. And at the end of the chapter, the authors do kind of give you advice and resources as to how to get into runes yourself. So they just sort of explain additional websites to go to or books to read or where to look to start your journey if actually casting runes is something that you want to do. So again, I think that's just the one element of the book that could put some people off, I guess, depending on who you are and what your beliefs are. And the only reason that I wanted to mention that just because my initial thought is, well, then if you're that type of person... I don't even think you'd be picking up this book at all based on the title, but there could be, I guess, some readers who feel that way who were expecting just a purely historical book looking at the past and not giving any present day recommendations. And like I said, there are also the interviews as well with a lot of present day people who either practice magic, they're either, you know, shamans or druids or Freemasons or a couple uh, bookshop owners who own bookshops dedicated to magic in London. So you get the idea. But that is part of the reason why I really enjoyed this book is just because not only is it all of these different lengthy chapters that give this amazing overview, but every chapter itself is this kind of like, I don't know, dare I say scrapbook kind of collection of different elements. So let me just like really clarify that point. So I went over what every single chapter is about, right? It's from like prehistoric, you know, caves at Lascaux all the way to the 21st century and all of these different topics along that timeline. But then in every chapter itself, it kind of follows the same chapter structure. So basically, let me flip to a chapter. So basically, it gives an overview of whatever the subject is and then there are a couple little passages in there that are like these separate little paragraphs like about, you know, maybe some little story or legend or something like that that falls under the broader umbrella of what the chapter is. But then you also have in every chapter like a little box that's like separate where they give you 
recommendations for different books to read on this topic. And often it's a lot of like fiction books. And then usually there's like somebody historic that's connected to this topic that they also give like a little biography on. This is also like its own section or chapter. And then you're kind of back to the meat of the subject again before ending with like an interview or two. And then at the very, very end of the chapter, you have things to do. And this is actually a bullet point list of actual sites to see or museums to go to, things like that in the UK. So like I said, that is part of the reason why I really love this book. And I'm really glad that I have a physical copy on my shelf just because, again, not only does it cover the topic adequately itself, but it also gives you all of these recommendations for fiction books, for things to do in the UK, for websites to visit, things like that. And something else that is really fun about this book is depending on what the chapter is and what the subject is, sometimes there are little charts or things like that in the chapter that are somewhat interactive, dare I say. Like it's not something where you're going to like write in the book or anything like that. But for example, it does give you like, okay, I just flipped to the chapter on astrology. So it does break down like all of the 12 signs and it helps you, you know, figure out what your sign is if you don't know. But then it also gives you this table of astrological correspondences and it breaks down every sign in terms of what planet is associated with it, what day of the week, what color, what metals, what stones, what scents, what foods, all those things. So again, this does fit into an actual historical context. And this was something that was practiced in like the Elizabethan era and things like that. But you do have this actual chart where you can then look at yourself based on your sign. So that's kind of what I mean by interactive. And the same goes also for the numerology chapter. Like they explain how to find out like what your like magic number is. So that's also what I mean by interactive, which is something that no doubt really played a role in sort of just igniting that like fun, adventurous feeling in adult readers, if you will. Because I do feel like that is something that is pretty rare to come across as an adult. Like, I feel like that's something that I only really felt with certain books when I was like a teenager. So it was really fun to read this, you know, incredible history book, but that was also able to kind of elicit that feeling a little bit. I think whimsical is a really good word for it. Like, this book does have a very whimsical vibe. And it's not just because it's talking about the subject of magic, because there's a lot of other authors that could have written a book that's just very dry and very dull, but there was a certain personality or character and just funness that really came through the pages to me. But something I want to talk about now is the connection of this book to last week's episode, which was on Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. So I did mention this in last week's episode, but I said something along the lines of, I was really proud of myself because a lot of the books that I picked out for Magic May end up really nicely corresponding to one another. And I even had that thought, which was, I guess, a very bold take, but before I even read this book, which is the book of English magic. And that was fully confirmed by actually reading this book. So I think this and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark make excellent companion reads. 
I don't think it really matters which one you read first. I would potentially read this one before Jonathan Strange, just to give you that like historical context and knowledge before jumping into it. But it is not necessary. You could read this one after like I did, and it will still hit just as hard. But it was very, very cool to pick up a lot of these things and see a little bit more directly how they overlap. So to very quickly summarize the Jonathan Strange book, just in case you didn't listen to last week's episode, it is about these two magicians in the 19th century, I believe, or early 19th century, and who essentially bring back magic to England. Basically, magic has died out, like real practicing magic, like doing shit. So it's essentially died out in England and these two magicians bring it back and are able to actively practice it and use it to help the British government fight wars, to attain their own ends, all this stuff and different shenanigans. So the reason it was really cool to read this book, which obviously talks about the very real history of magic in the UK, is because there were certain parts of this book where you can actually see where Susanna Clark drew very, very real information and or inspiration from. And so one of those things is scrying. And scrying is a very real thing that was done historically by magicians of the past. And essentially what it is, is like taking, I believe it's like a piece, like a a piece of obsidian or potentially a mirror. I think it was most commonly like obsidian and the magician or whoever would lean over it and look into the reflection and see what they could sort of divine from the reflection and sort of make predictions or see different things. And that is something that really popped up on my radar because that is present in Susanna Clark's novel. Where the magicians actually do it though in water, like they'll put like water on a table or like a puddle or something like that. But the usage and the imagery is very similar and essentially the same. Also in this book, the book of English magic, they do talk about how there was a magician who actually offered the British Army and Navy protection in the early 19th century and his services and offered them victory in the war that they were fighting. So again, that is something that is also present in Susanna Clarke's fictional novel. And last but not least, this book also talks about magicians working with fairies and fairy magic in general. That one's a little bit more common knowledge, but there were a lot of smaller details that this book goes into that I can see directly correlating to Susanna Clark's novel. And the reason I mention this is because Susanna Clark's book was so excellent. And part of the reason why it was so excellent is because she really expertly weaves in fact and fiction. And even before reading this book, I knew a little bit of like the folklore that she was weaving in, but not to the fullest extent. She really, really did an amazing job and really did her research. And obviously this book is about the history of magic in the UK, as I have said a million times, but it does acknowledge the fact that English magic has been influenced by Nordic cultures, Arabia, Italy, Germany, Jewish mysticism, and even Romani traditions. So I don't want to leave that out. It is obviously UK specific because the UK does have the lengthiest and richest history slash association with the topic of magic in the entire world, basically. But it does acknowledge the influence that it has had from outside sources as well. And just so I've said it, I guess if you are somebody who is really religious, this book does talk about the 
intersection of magic and religion because oftentimes, if not the majority of the time historically, they were actually very interlinked and they weren't opposing forces or beliefs like they are today. I think that kind of came about with like Wicca and like the 60s and you really started to see like a separation of the two, but for a very long time, they really did go hand in hand. So if you are interested in that, then, you know, the book does talk about it. And so I think that kind of tells you everything that you need to know about this book. I guess we've kind of reached the point where I talk about who it's good for and my rating. So if you can already tell from this review, it is going to be best for people who are not only interested in reading history, but also just have a little bit of that open mind slash further interest, I guess, in this topic. And, you know, you're just essentially not going to be put off by these interviews or these suggestions or things like that. Because ultimately, I think the thing to remember is that it is just a fun book. Like, that's how I see it. So maybe this is actually appealing to kind of a niche audience. But yeah, if you're somebody who really likes history, really likes reading about history, but you're also somebody who is very open to just learning about these different magical topics like alchemy, astrology, and runes, and scrying, and all of that stuff, then obviously this is the book for you. I think also too, if you're somebody who has an interest or connection to the UK, it's I don't know if I'd say an important book to read, but kind of, because again, England has had the richest history of magic in the entire world, basically. And this book really, really makes that clear. And it's not to downplay magic in other countries or other societies, no doubt. They do talk about that. The topic of magic is present everywhere, everywhere from the you know, from Norway and Sweden to Native Americans to, again, you know, Jewish mysticism, Romani traditions, the topic of magic is present everywhere. But England specifically does have the lengthiest slash richest history of it. I think for my rating, though, I'm gonna go with four stars, maybe four and a half. I'll do four and a half. I don't know why I can't give it five. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I should have thought about this a little bit more because I'm just kind of rating on the spot. But I think I'm going to go with four and a half. That's what my gut is telling me. It was a very good book that covers this topic, which is a really, really broad topic in full and gives a really fantastic overview. It is very whimsical, very adventurous, very fun to me and really just kind of sparks that interest gives you everything from interviews to actual suggestions of things to do, book recommendations, while covering all of these different chapters and topics throughout the book. So I don't know, maybe it does deserve five stars. (laughs) So if this is a book that you are interested in, like I said, highly recommend it. I would really, really read this though in conjunction with Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. If you're unsure about that book, you can go back and listen to my review from last week's episode to kind of get a feel for it. So with that, I'm going to officially bring this episode to a close. As always, you can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That is the biggest way to support me and to support what I do. You can also check out all the different content we have at Brutally Honest Books on Instagram and TikTok. And in the meantime, be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode, which is the very first Cocktails and Classics. We're talking about Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. 
This also fit very perfectly into the theme of Magic May. And be sure to then stick around to see what the topic of June is going to be. And if you would like a sneak peek as to what that topic is going to be, you can join the Brutally Honest Book Club over on Instagram. It is a private Instagram account, but all you have to do is follow and you are in. And with that, I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Brutally Honest Books podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. If you like the show, you can rate and review on iTunes, and be sure to follow along on Instagram at Brutally Honest Books.